0: I'm going to talk about a book, make it stick, um, and then, like I said before, if you go to joinpg.com and uh, put in these six letters up here in the top corner, then you can be in the interactive part of the presentation. It's nice to be here in a school where we can have people sitting on the floor and we don't have somebody, an attendant, walking in and telling everybody they can't sit on the floor or things like that, so uh, it's nice to be here, during records together. Um, so this is based on the book Make It Stick by Brown, Roediger, and McDaniel. Uh, I read this book a couple times and then I created like a full day of professional development for the high school when I was teaching there and we spent our time kind of going through the different uh, techniques for lasting learning and kind of taught each other those techniques. Uh, so I'm going to try to shrink down all those topics in the whole book into you know, less than an hour. But really, the, the main reason I'm here, uh, the big reason is I want to talk about poetry. I used to teach English, so I got to talk about poetry all the time. And now that I'm a principal, I don't get to talk about poetry as much. So um, I was thinking back to two years ago, the last time we were in person, and I gave this talk. And um, my room had gotten moved, so a bunch of people were like filtering in late and I gave this big disclaimer about how I'm really just here to talk about poetry, so this is a bait and switch, like you're, you know, we're not really talking about the book, I just want to talk about poetry for myself. And uh, the people who came in late missed my little joke about that. And then in the comments, like the feedback we get back at the end, somebody wrote, he just, wrote, he just talked about poetry the whole time, he didn't even talk about the learning techniques, so that was, like, that was just really funny to me and I was glad that happened. But I'm going to talk about poetry a lot. So I know there were some language arts teachers here. So I hope you enjoy that. Ooh. All right. <laughs> um, so we're going to do a little pretest here. And this is part of the interactive part. So you should be able to tr- choose true or false. So fact or fiction. Rereading is an effective learning strategy. So if you have a, a student who reads the assignment they get a bad grade, you just tell them, we'll read it again, we'll take the quiz again. So you should be able to, on your phone. <laughs> Almost all of our responses. Um, if you think about the, I'm gonna lock your screens, but if you think about the cliche that like every speaker says, um, repeating the same thing and expecting different results is the definition of, you all know, insanity, which has been misattributed to probably like 38 different people. But um, if you didn't read it very well the first time, why would you go back and just reread it and do the same strategy to try to learn it? So uh, this is actually false. Rereading is not a good strategy for learning. If it didn't work the first time, why would it work the second time? Now, if you read in different ways, then it might be helpful. Or if you, you know, write down questions while you're reading, If you scan the document and just look at topic sentences the first time you read it, but then you read the the full document, those strategies might work, but simply rereading it is not an effective strategy. Factor fictions. Making errors when retrieving information is good for learning. So, factor fiction, true or false, is it good to get things wrong when you're trying to learn things? So you're trying to remember something. Sorry, I may have said this it's bad when I was paraphrasing. You're trying to remember something. And you make an error. Is that good for learning We've got almost all of our sponsors. All right, most people said true, uh, this is true. So when you, you get things wrong and then correct yourself, uh, you get a deeper understanding of why you went to the wrong answer and then the correction really helps you get a deeper understanding of it. Fact or fiction, true or false? Teaching that is consistent with a student's preferred learning style, so you know all the learning styles, kinesthetic, auditory, visual, all those things, will improve learning. So if the teacher intentionally changes a lesson to make it fit the student's preferred learning style, that will improve learning. True or false? Almost everybody's in. True. Let's look at it. Oh, oh, hold on. I'm in the wrong. Hide responses. Teaching that is consistent with a student's preferred learning style will improve learning. This, we mostly said true, but this is false. Um, so the idea here is that the, the teaching method that you use, should fit the content. So if the content should be taught in a visual way, teach it in a visual way, even if your student says, well, I'm a kinesthetic learner. So it's not that the the learning styles really should dictate how we teach, but that the content should dictate how we teach, and then people just have preferences for what, you know, what they're better at or what they enjoy more. Uh, Learning is best when it feels easiest. Fact or fiction, true or false, learning is best when it feels easiest. said false we were right Uh, when you feel like you're working hard you're more engaged in it Uh, and, and learning is actually improving when it feels hard when you're kind of skating through it you're not as deeply connected to it and it doesn't doesn't last as long okay fact or fiction true or false to be efficient you should immediately move on from a subject once it is initially understood, rather than overlearning for mastery. So the moment you grasp a concept, you should just move on and switch. Or, if that is false, then you should grasp the concept and stay there and overlearn. 32 out of 41 responses. I'm going to wait for a couple more. Okay. Most of us said false. So let's go see what that means again. To be efficient, you should immediately move on from a subject once it is initially understood rather than overlearning. Most of us say no. You should stay on the topic and overlearn learn um, it. But the correct answer is true. Once you grasp a topic, like in your brain, you form the neural pathways, then the most efficient thing to do is to move on to something else. Then you come back to it later and overlearn it later, but it's not efficient to stay on a topic once you've learned it. You're not going to, you know, have this robust neural pathway that's uh, built from one instance of or one uh, sustained period of attention on a topic, you need to come back to it multiple times (laughs) for lasting learning. Um, Then fact or fiction, this is for you yourself. I grew up singing hymns. So if you sang hymns when you were growing up, you could put in true. If you've never sung hymns, don't sing hymns, you didn't sing them when you were growing up, you could go false. Okay, a lot of hymn singers, good. Um, So like I said, I want to talk about poetry, and I'm going to get to poetry by way of hymns. Uh, So we'll talk about Amazing Grace, and Laura, who teaches in my building, and said something about singing. So Laura, you can come up and sing Amazing Grace for everybody now. I don't think COVID would like that, so I'll stay here. Okay. Um, I also won't sing it, but we can read it. And um, what I want you to think about is the rhythm, or what poets call the meter. So what, is the the sound that we're experiencing in terms of the rhythm of the beat of it through the words so amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now am found Twas blind but now i see
1: Twas grace
0: that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour i first believed through many dangers toils and snares we have already come Twas grace that brought us safe this thus far and grace will lead us home. So this is uh, what's called uh, ballad meter, um, and and a close relative of ballad meter is common meter. So ballad meter really should have eight-syllable lines, usually four iams, which are unstressed, stressed, they're called feet, followed by a six-syllable line, followed by an eight-syllable line, followed by a six. And the rhyme scheme goes A, B, A, B. So if you look at this, it goes amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Um, that's, that's the iambic sound, the rhythm. Um, now, for poets, I was thinking of trying to, to come to a good analogy. Projector's overheating. Great. You can still see it on your screen if we lose the projectors. Uh, or maybe we can all just turn around to one <laughs> But we've got three here. Um, so I was thinking of analogies for, for like poets, and maybe, maybe this basketball analogy will help. Um, for, for ballad meter, you know, it can be a little loose. But what poets really pay attention to is those stressed syllables that each line will have the four stressed syllables, three stressed syllables, four stressed syllables, three stressed syllables. And then between them, there'll be one unstressed syllable. So they might chop off the front syllable that's unstressed. They might add another unstressed syllable. But um, if you think about like traveling and basketball, like it's supposed to be two steps, right? But there's a bunch of people like when they're gonna make a slam dunk, they take like two and a half steps. Um, so it can be a little loose but the main rule is that you pay attention to the stressed syllables and that you have to go 4-3, 4-3 sometimes there's a syllable at the beginning that's chopped off or an extra syllable on the end but that's that's the basics and then common meter is basically the same thing but it's a little more loose so um, there might be a missing syllable something like that Okay. Um, there's no question here. Okay. Yes, there it is. Is "Blessed be the tie that binds" also valid meter? So if you look at "Amazing Grace," you know you can count your syllables, do that stuff. But now look at the other stanza over here on the bottom right. "Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love; the fellowship our spirit finds is like to that above." So is Blessed be the tie that binds. Also, ballad meter, the same structure of Amazing Grace. Go ahead and answer with your device. see my kids you know, counting on their fingers and all that stuff. You guys are all trying to be cool, just do the mental math. Okay, is this also ballad meter? Yes, it's ballad meter. No, it's something else. And we got four I don't know's. How many of you have had a student write IDK just to three words on an answer? Okay um no this is something else so let's look at uh oh, oh wait a second Did I... sorry we're going to look at this emily dickinson poem now and decide if this is ballad meter apparently with no surprise to any happy flower the frost beheads it at its play in accidental power so this is just one stanza on your phone your device you can answer whether this is valid meter or the same thing that Amazing Grace is. We've got 36 responses, yes it's valid meter, no but it's common meter, no it isn't valid meter or common meter, and 5 IDK. So apparently with no surprise, we've got 4 stressed syllables on the, uh, the first line, so it goes 4 stressed syllables, 3 stressed syllables, 4 stressed syllables, 3 stressed syllables to any happy flower. The frost beheads it at its play in accidental power. So the power and flower have that extra added syllable on the end, but just like when you know, your favorite basketball player takes two and a half steps instead of two steps in uh, dunking, it's, it's kind of within the rule still. This is still valid meter, common meter. Um, now I want to, I want to move on in this poem to the next stanza. Uh, apparently with no surprise to any happy flower, the frost beheads it at its play in accidental power. And now the next stanza, I want you to guess that what the final uh, line of this poem is. The blond assassin passes on, the sun proceeds unmoved to measure off another day. What? Now, with what you know about valid meter, what should happen in this last line? There are really kind of two big things that should happen. <coughs> Can somebody raise has a some hand? It should rhyme with, with, unmoved. with unmoved. It should rhyme with unmoved. Three stress. It should have uh, three stressed syllables. Yep, so basically six syllables, three stress, rhyme with unmoved. So you get to be your inner poet today. on this, you just write because you just talk about poetry the whole time there's nothing like what the description was <laughs> okay only about half of you are uh, feeling poetic the world must be improved so if we go back to this the blonde assassin passes on, the sun proceeds unmoved, unmoved to measure off another day The world must be improved, the day it has behooved, and so its course be proved. She wipes her chin.
1: (laughs) To set the world,
0: I would like, I want to take a snooze. The ground is still my spoon. We got a rhyme there. My soul and heart approved. The clouds are now removed. I hope you find your groove, then it'll be removed. The room is filled with wood, <laughs> a flower smooth, the sun was then removed. Okay. Um, let's see what it actually says. Apparently with no surprise to any happy flower, the frost beheads it at its plate an accidental power. The blonde assassin passes on, the sun proceeds unmoved to measure off another day for an approving God. So... What did we say? What were we trying to do? What did Emily Dickinson do? Surprise. (laughs) What's that? Surprise. Surprise. Right, because we were expecting it to rhyme with unmoved, but then we get God for an approving God, and we even got the rhythm, so it's really building up to making us think we're going to rhyme with unmoved, but then we get God. So talk with the person next to you. Uh, what feeling does the <laughs> final line leave you with? Just that final line for an approving God. Can we get some feeling words? <laughs> Can I have five responses? What feeling are you left with at the end? Five people it's unfulfilling because it doesn't run even. (laughs) Unfulfilled. Isn't it also kind of unfulfilling to think that God is just watching nature kill itself? And like staying out of it? Okay. What are some other words? feeling words? Can we get four more unfulfilling? Yep. We said uh, unsettled, but comforted at the same time. Okay. We, we would want so badly for that last line to rhyme. If we were in control, that's how it should be. And yet, we're not. God is in control. Okay. Good. Even if we don't necessarily like what's happening. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take it down to just three words instead of five. because people aren't volunteering quickly, but I have one more word for how how do you feel at the end of this? Startled. Startled. Okay, thank you. So um, this this thing that we looked at before, um, blessed be the tie that binds, this is called short meter. So blessed be the tie that binds. There's three. Really blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. So uh, all of this, it goes with the same the same beats per line, instead of those four beat lines. Um, that's called short meter, different from ballad meter. Um, I'm going to have to read the whole thing. but Short meter is six-syllable lines, usually three iams unstressed, stressed, followed by a six-syllable line, followed by, oh sorry, there's one eight-syllable line. The third line has the eight syllables, the four stresses. So this is like ballad meter, but it's cut off a foot from the first line has the same rhyme scheme. Now I want you to look at this Dickinson poem and tell me whether it's uh, short meter. Uh, Your right, so we're just looking at this side. Your right the way is narrow, and difficult the gate, and few be there correct again that enter in thereat. Is this short meter? Can answer with your phone. So we're almost there. Most of us are saying yes. we got even more IEK. Perfect. Um, you're right, the way is narrow. There's that extra added syllable on the end, but it's three stressed syllables. So this is short meter. And then what do you think the last line of this poem is? You're right, the way is narrow and difficult, the gate, and few there be, correct again, that enter in thereat. Tis costly, so are purples. Tis just the price of breath. But with but the discount of the grave termed by the broker's death. And after that there's heaven, the good man's dividend, and bad men go to jail. How do we end the, the poem? What are the two things that we're thinking? It should have... Four stress syllables and it should rhyme with dividend. What's that, Laura? Is she going to startle us again? Oh, is she going to startle you again? um, the way to heaven is narrow, right? The gate is difficult. There's few people that can get in. It's, it's costly to get to heaven, just like purple cloth. It's just the price of breath. Give up your breath to get into heaven. With but the discount of the grave, turned by the broker's death. After that, there's heaven, the good man's dividend, and bad men go to jail. What do we say? Bad men go to jail. The cop car ridden in. <laughs> this theology's no friend. Sadly, that is the end. To try it or again. That's nice. We got the word. Using some uh, full, tiny language. <laughs> but then he'll rise again. A rhyme I will not give again. <laughs> to pay for sins alone. Ooh, that's, that's kind of Dickinson and like just trying to throw it off. To weep and gnash therein. Kick them in the rear end. Perfect. Must escape the lion's den. christ redemptive power. Be good. What a wretched end. Oh, oh, somebody's thinking. Should we watch this person? Somebody Googled it. I guess is the answer. Yeah, bad men go to jail, I guess. So really, really abrupt, like not even close to the number of syllables it's supposed to have. Um... And somebody said that, you know, this isn't good theology or whatever. Like, there's a lot of questioning here. Um, you know, how do we know that justice will ultimately be um, be fulfilled? Um, that's something that we have to believe on faith because sometimes there's not a lot of evidence about it. So uh, a lot of that's coming through in the poem. And it becomes more reinforced and more un- uh, stronger to us because of that unsettling ending. Okay, so now I want you to come up with an analogy to explain how Dickinson ends her poem. So this is like, ending a poem like this is like doing what? You can uh, go ahead and type that in. You end a poem like Emily Dickinson ends a poem. It's like... Should I give you an example that you can't use? What people said last time was... Grabbing a cookie, thinking it's a chocolate chip cookie, biting into it, and it's raisins. I'm a little offended at I'm I'm good with an oatmeal raisin cookie, but um, what is it like to get to the end of the poem like this and have it be so unsettled? Like cheering for Ohio State, bad surprise. Hitting a brick wall with your car. Oh, that was like throwing a bucket of cold water. Oh, eating jalapeno ice cream, thinking it was mint chocolate chip. <laughs> Climbing a mountaintop and realizing the top is cloudy. That is so good. I don't know who wrote that, but alright. I think that's a favorite. It's like going to the store and not finding what you need. Like starting a familiar song, jingle, and not finishing it. It's like an open gift, but disappointing. Sitting here and learning about poetry. You came in, no. you came in for Make It Stick, and uh, you get poetry. We'll get back to Make It Stick. Uh, a student asking what the lesson's about. <laughs> Just like this one here, sitting here learning about poetry. All right. Uh, spending the life climbing up the wrong ladder, unsure unresolved. Putting the wrong table color on your battery. No first-hand experience of that from me, going to a sectional only to learn about poetry. Thank you. Um, so what does she do? Why does she do this? Uh, we don't need to respond on this one, it's, but you know, it's to, to give that unsettling. Uh, so let's go back to, to talk about make it stick, and then I'm going to talk about these principles and what I was trying to do when I was teaching you about poetry. So rereading is an effective... Learning strategy. Go ahead and answer. Indulge me in this. We can do this really, really quickly. False. Rereading is not an effective learning strategy. Making errors when retrieving information is good for learning. When you're trying to remember something and you get it wrong, is that good for your long-term learning? True, teaching that is consistent with a student's preferred learning style, kinesthetic, will improve learning. False, learning is best when it feels easiest. We're all saying false. You should immediately move on from a subject once it is initially understood rather than continuing for mastery. Remember, this to be efficient. Should you move on from the subject or overlearn it? True, you should move on. <coughs> um, so what was I doing when I was teaching you? Back to the book, make it safe. Um, these are the different topics that are in the book that you'd learn about if you read it. These are the things you can do to structure your class so that your learning activities are not kind of wasting time over-learning when you should be leaving something and coming back to it later. Um, so one thing is spaced practice. The same questions with time in between. Uh, mass practice is bad. The analogy that they use from the book is batting practice. If you have a pitcher who is always throwing fastballs to the batter, the batter's gonna seem like they're getting really good at hitting fastballs, but when they get into a game where it might be a fastball or it might be a curveball or something like that, then they're gonna struggle more. But if there's a variety of things that they're learning, they get time in between the fastballs, they actually get better at that for longer term. Now, in the short term, you might have some quick gains. It might feel like you're doing really good when you're over-learning, spending all that time on mass practice but it's not efficient, and it's not actually as good for your brain for long-term learning. Interleaving. So interleaving is teaching several things at once and showing their relationship between the ideas. So I was teaching ballad meter, common meter, and short meter all at the same time. We, we went from one to the other rather than saying, okay, we're going to do ballad meter for a week. And now we're going to do common meter for a week. And now we're going to do short meter for a week. You teach them at the same time and teach the differences uh, while you're doing that. So several several topics where you pick them up and drop them is much better than just teaching one aspect at a time. Elaboration. When I ask you to come up with an analogy that's forcing you to get deep into the topic, and then put it in your own words, so that elaboration where you take your learning and then make more from it, that will get you more deeply engaged with the topic. Uh, generation where you have to come up with an answer. So maybe for like studying, if you if you have a multiple choice, uh, you have a multiple choice quiz or test that you're going to do, maybe you just give the stem and you don't give the answers while you're studying and have the kids come up with what could all the answers be where it's not right in front of them and they have to pull something out where I made you finish the line how do you think it will end then that unsettling feeling became even stronger for you guys because you had your expectations built up of what it could be or should be so actually creating uh, an answer out of nowhere is really really important calibration so the idea of getting response and then correcting, that's really important. So by pre-testing to get uh, confidence closer to accuracy, they need some kind of measuring stick. You guys needed to know how well do you understand what kind of learning topics actually lead to long-term learning, what practices make long-term learning uh, more efficient, better. Then reflection. Uh, questioning in your own words, what does Dickinson do at the end of the poem and why? Oh, I think I kind of skipped that one because we're, uh, we're moving on a little bit, but um, creation is active, reception is passive, active is deeper engagement. So the whole idea of that question, is it is learning better when it's easiest or when it feels difficult? Um, think about this, creation is active. When you're making the students actually do something, actually come up with questions, actually come up with answers. They have to do the work. Rather than passively just sitting and taking it in, then you're getting them engaged more deeply. When they're engaged deeply, it leads to longer lasting learning. Any questions about these or anything anything that I can clarify what questions do you have? Yeah? I'm wondering about the rereading one, because I teach a second language So as a strategy I say like read it once and then reread it to see like what you missed or what, you know, like something like that. Is that still true if they're reading something in their second language? What what I might do, and I I taught German for a while too, so and what I would sometimes do is is have them read it and underline words that they don't know. And then when they go back, uh, before they reread it again, look up those words, write down the notes. You know, in the margin, and then reread it where they can do it fluently. But that's not simply rereading it. The strategy then is you're reading to figure out what you can understand, where are the gaps, filling in the gaps, and then reading it. But the idea of just like read this once, okay, there's a bunch of incomprehensible input. Let's just go right back and read it again. It's not going to do much. Yep. Uh, interleaving. Uh, Robert Ludlum does that. Uh, really well and he puts like eight different uh, scenes and topics that are going on. How many is, what's age appropriate and uh, what do you think at each level? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think my answer would be the same answer about like learning styles that you let the content dictate that rather than having a magic number of, you know, what could it be? Um, but I think the idea is you have to have something that they can compare and, and see that it's different. So I would say probably a minimum of three things. And even the examples in the, in the book, I believe, are about teaching geography, where it's like you teach the climate, but also teach the exports and teach agriculture. Like, don't just sit here and go like, this is the climate, this is winter, spring, summer, and then just go back and just do the climate over and over again. But then the climate influences the imports and exports, and the imports and exports are influenced by what uh, the agriculture is and all of that. So seeing the interrelationships is the important thing. So I don't know that I have a a strict, like, you know, take their age and divide it by two, and then that's what it is, or anything like that. But I, I look at the concept more. Would you have done anything differently if when you were teaching, all of them, we were getting all of them wrong? Um, so, like, you feel like, like, if I'm not doing, if I wasn't doing those strategies. Like no, you, I, you were doing these, and right. when, when you ask us the question, like, is this a comment oh, gotcha. that we were getting them all wrong? Like, right. Like, the class is not getting it. Would you keep so, moving to elaboration. That's where you stay in uh, calibration. So, you know, everybody needs to, like, have that feedback of where do I measure up. So I don't think you can move on until they get that. So, like, the the idea of the last, uh, second to last question that I asked, like, it's more efficient to move on once they get it. You've got to make sure they get it first. So they need something to measure up. Uh, like giving a pretest, but then going over the pretest right away, not letting that sit, giving that immediate feedback on the pretest. Does that answer your question? Okay. What other questions are there? So uh, here are some uh, examples kind of, of of when you would do things like this. So space practice and interleaving those are pretty similar, but like dialing phone numbers. Um, do you, I, I, took, I used to teach high school so I'd always talk to kids about this like what can you remember? How many phone numbers do you know? And they might know like one. And when I was in middle school, I knew like all of my friends, I knew their phone numbers. I knew my dad's cell phone number, the work number, the fax number it were. I knew my mom's cell phone number, and kids just don't know that. And then my students would say, you just sat around and memorized your friend's phone numbers? Why would you sit around and memorize your friend's phone numbers? I didn't sit around and memorize them. I would just call them every week. And when you call them every week, you have that space practice where, oh, I have to look up their number, I dial it, and then a week later, I look up their number and I dial it, And after I do that several times, I've had that space practice where I go back to it, and now I remember it. So interleaving, that was the batting practice example that I gave you. Um, Elaboration, this is actually what doctors do in postmortems. They go back and they look at um, maybe a a surgery or emergency room accident where the the patient died. And then they, they go back and figure out like what could have, we've done that would have made this better. So they're taking all of that data and then making something from it. Generation, uh, so that's like you don't have the answers but you just have to come up with the answers. That's why pilots go in flight simulators. So when you're in this accident, when you lose an engine, what do you do? Well the flight simulator makes them come up with their own answer and then they see what would happen from that. Uh, Calibration, so like I've talked about pre-tests, but practice quizzes for standardized tests, all of that is getting kids to understand uh, what they know and what they don't know, so that when you're trying to teach them, they they have a frame of reference for where they are. And then reflection, any kind of journaling that you do uh, leads to that time spent on what they know and they don't know. So, um, uh, this with Pear Deck, this will be shared with you. As a Google Doc, and um, from that, if you're if you're more interested in this, this link here at the end goes to a Google Doc that has uh, a bunch of articles and videos that are on those six topics. And so, when we did our day-long um, professional development, I had people in groups, and like one person watched a video, one person read something, another person read something, then they like uh, jigsawed and figured out. What is this topic? And then they would teach it to the rest of the teachers. So if you're interested at looking at more material on any of these, you can go there. Um, And I think that's my entire presentation. So, uh, yeah, that's it. If you get a chance to get feedback, you know, you can say, all you do is talk about poetry the whole time, or listen to the scripture. Thank you for staying for the whole thing, so you could see how I tied it all together, and I hope I did that effectively. So.